the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You've probably seen a lot of the hubbub as mainstream media has done their best to spoon-feed news of uh, Caitlyn Jenner, also known as Bruce Jenner, making the debut on Vanity Fair cover, posing as a transgender woman in lingerie. It's the first we've seen of Jenner in his new gender since the former Olympic athlete announced plans to transition to life as a woman at the age of 65. And for many of us, a reminder of... Well, just a confused and changing society in which we live. A nation that, for those of us that perhaps are over, over 50, wonder what's happened to our country. And uh, wanting to, at one level, engage in the fight to make America a Christian nation again. And yet, on the other hand, maybe being compelled to ask an even more important question. And that is, how can we, right where we live and work and play and engage do a better job of engaging the culture all around us. There was a time in an age when you had to get on an airplane with a passport and travel to another part of the world to engage in the mission field. And today, the mission field is literally right out your front door, almost anywhere you live in America, and certainly anywhere in the San Francisco Bay Area. So what of this idea of living missionally right where you live today? Well, we've invited... Jim Ramsey, the Vice President of Mission Ministries at the Mission Society, to join us with some insights uh, to that very question. And Jim, a delight to have you on the program. It's good to be here. First, I'm curious about your own journey. You left high-tech for the mission field. I understand you and your family spent uh, 10 years as missionaries in Kazakhstan, and that's uh, that's quite a transition. Yes, it was. Um, we we felt called to mission from from an earlier age, but it wasn't like a, a major, you know, sudden surprise to us. We always knew we wanted to serve, but the Lord had provided the IT work as something I could do while I was preparing, working through seminary, and we were starting our family. But it was a change. We uh, were in our early thirties when we when we moved from a small town Kentucky to a city in Central Asia, in the country of Kazakhstan and served there for 10 years. And, of course, now you're here uh, back in the U.S. and serving as vice president of uh, Mission Ministries with the Mission Society, as we mentioned. And uh, your your background, I think, as a missionary it qualifies you in many ways, uh, Jim, uniquely to help us better understand and address this question because, as I suggested, it wasn't that many generations ago when engaging in missions work to other people and cultures and society in places that were very different of us meant getting a passport, hopping on an airplane, and heading overseas. And today, that largely means getting up and going to work in the morning, doesn't it? No doubt. I think that, uh, that missions has really become from everywhere to everywhere and that people can, can be involved in mission wherever they are. And I think uh, in some ways that's a positive. We still will always be people who will get on a plane and go because uh, there's some places in the world that will never hear the gospel if somebody doesn't do that because there's nobody around. But having said that, uh, we all know I, I think you have to be in a cocoon uh, to not realize there are incredible needs and opportunities for sharing the gospel here in our own home country. Let's talk about attitudes concerning that very issue. I mean, there is a certain notion that believers have that we, we should live in such a fashion as we, we share our faith, we share the evangel or the or the gospel with others. Uh, and yet, at least through the decade of the, the 80s and 90s, and, and maybe even to a certain degree today, um, a lot of uh, Christians... Um, do a good job at expressing our frustration 
over what we see going on in our culture and society today. Uh, you witnessed the news story that I shared um, at, at the top of the segment here. Uh, and we do a good job at that, and yet um, maybe our experience or our, our capacity to share our frustration is better honed than our capacity to actually share our faith. And again, at the end of the day, the question is, which of the two will have the greater impact on society around us, sharing our frustration or sharing our faith? I think you really hit on the the crucial issue that I think the American church and the evangelical church in particular really is facing. I shared a story uh, in an article I wrote recently that that really points this out. It was some years ago. We were still in Kazakhstan serving, and I had a a friend who was on the faculty of of a small liberal arts college in the East here. And it was a college with a great Christian tradition, but like so many colleges, it had kind of wandered from that tradition in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And he asked this question of me. They were about to engage some policies that were, were clearly in opposition to the biblical understanding of the faith. And, uh, and he was kind of fighting the policies and just getting really frustrated and, and feeling like he was fighting a losing battle. And he asked me this question. He said, I'm wondering if, if my mistake is trying to maintain the Christian identity of this institution, or should I learn what is it to live missionally in a non-Christian institution? And he was talking to me because as a missionary, he said, maybe I should have more of the thought of a missionary who doesn't expect the host culture to be Christian than to kind of try to fight for that. And I think that's the, the key question that, that we are faced as believers in this culture, is, is which are we going to fight to, to maintain the culture? Or are we going to live missionally to invite people into a different uh, way of living? Well, certainly the mentality for many, many years, and we've seen this articulated at, at a national level, uh, be historically by the likes of, of a Jerry Falwell or the likes of a Pat Robertson and others, and that is that we there's a degree to which we have to fight to maintain the culture. Certainly that notion of being um, salt and light uh, makes sense at a degree, but I wonder if there's also... A great degree, Jim, to which we kind of longingly look back toward a different time in America where we perceived it to be a Christian nation when, in fact, that's never really been entirely an, an accurate moniker for our country. And so it's almost as if we're, we're fighting to maintain something that, in the truest form, never really truly existed in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I have to ask that question. I know it, it's it's not always popular to, to question that, but you, you think about that we sometimes do pine for the great years of the 50s when we were a Christian country, and yet if you look at some of the things that were in place and the rules, some of the treatment of people in our country in the 1950s, I think all would agree it was far from Christian, um, especially we look at some of the, the racial issues going on in our country at the time. So I think we, we sometimes have some selective memory. I, I don't mean to imply, therefore, there have been huge challenges, and certainly the, the Christian faith has fallen out of favor with the dominant culture. Uh, but I think sometimes in our, in our memory, or our, our selective memory, uh, we kind of pine for the yesteryear, and I, I really question, is that, is that what God would have us do, or is he looking for us to forge what does it look like to be a Christian in today's context rather than trying to recreate yesterday's context? And is that maybe because it's just easier to fall back to that position? There's a lot less uh, demanded of us in doing so. I mean, let's face it, we'll, we'll talk to any generation and talk about the good old days and say, well, the, the good old days. Are we talking about the good old days of the Cold War in the 1980s? Would that be the good old days of the Vietnam War in the 1970s? Would it be the good old days of, of uh, the, the spread of communism and, and enslaving the people throughout Europe in the 19? 50s, the good old days of, of the 1940s during the Second World War? Which phase of the good old days are we referring to? So it, it seems as if you're right. It's not only very selective memory, but sometimes maybe just simply an easier way to kind of default back to, because if mm-hmm. we can just um, vent our frustration over how things have changed, it really doesn't call upon us then to be engaged in the culture, to challenge the culture, to love the culture, to live, as you suggest, in a missional fashion, which means to understand that first and foremost, it is our job to be Christ's representatives on earth. And let's face it, there's a lot more work involved in doing that than just sitting back and complaining. I think so, and, and uh, one of my colleagues, Stan Self, uh, wrote recently, and I, I love this quote, he says, when we as evangelicals are so disheartened over the state of the Church in America, what are we bemoaning? Do we mourn the loss of Orthodox gospel preaching, or do we mourn the loss of our privileged place in society? Mm. And I think that's, that's a hard question, but I think we need to ask honestly, what, what are we upset about? Um, are we really upset about 
the true teachings of Christianity and the transformation that the gospel brings, or are we frustrated because the the kind of position of being the dominant um, the dominant understanding in the culture that being Christian was a culturally good and acceptable thing is that is that really what we're we're losing that that means there's a higher cost of the faith than maybe we we did since thirty or forty years ago. Yeah, probably very true. And along with that, I think, uh, coincides this notion that, let's face it, missional living in a very unchristian or hostile environment, uh, and and certainly Christians in China understand this, Christians in the Sudan, as we speak, understand what this is like, it comes at a higher cost. And so you're right. The question is, when we talk about paying the price, is it paying the price because we're being inconvenienced, or do we understand that our very faith itself requires us to pay a price, that there is a price? Christ for being counted amongst those that name Jesus as Lord and Savior. So maybe it's a good point for us to pause and engage in some introspection. You know, I use the Bruce Jenner story is kind of a jumping off point because everybody's been talking about it around the water cooler over the last 24 hours and many bemoaning this this direction in which society seems to be headed and yet There is a bigger question here that remains unanswered for believers, and that is, um, do we long for the days of the Christian culture, or are we willing to influence the world around us uh, to understand what it really means to live out our faith missionally in a non-Christian environment? Our conversation today with Jim Ramsey, Vice President of Mission Ministries. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Deficit spending nearing $1 trillion while the federal debt is over $22 trillion. Trade wars spooking the markets, treasury note yields, my goodness, now suggesting that a recession is looming while Hong Kong reels from pro-democracy protests. What does that mean for the Hang Seng? You know, it was Albert Einstein who once said, avoid negative people because they have a problem for every solution. Well, right now, I've got a man that I want you to pay attention to because he's got a solution for many of your money problems. He is the host of the nationally syndicated Phil's Gang, heard every day at 12 noon on our sister station, AM 1220 Business Radio, KDOW. And he's coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, he's going to be one of the keynote speakers at the upcoming Money Show San Francisco taking place at the Hilton Hotel, August 15th, 16th, and 17th. We'll tell you more about that. Meanwhile, here's that man with all those solutions for your money problems, Phil Grandy. Phil, great to have you on the show. Uh, love to be here. Looking forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow. Well, it's going to be great to have you out here in the San Francisco Bay Area. A chance for your listeners from out the Bay Region to also come out and get a chance to uh, to meet you. You're going to be doing your show live on location from the Money Show. And then, of course, on Friday afternoon at 4.30, you're going to be giving one of the keynote addresses. We'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on. But first, right. Phil, I, I've got to get your input. Just kind of your overall 30,000-foot-high view of where things are at in the markets today. I alluded to a lot of factors that are driving uncertainty and fear, and we've seen the volatility index just off the charts over the last uh, couple of weeks. A lot of that certainly related to not only slowing down of economies overseas, but also much of the trade war talk. What do you make of where we're at right now? Well, it's it, you know, I'm a, I'm a chartist, so for us, uh, this is... is but just another day at, at the job because we started in uh, actually if you go back to 2015 when they started to raise rates the first quarter point rate hike I said back then which I'm a big big uh, believer in watching the yields uh, because if you want to know the truth about the market you, you don't go to one of these financial shows on TV. Go to the yield. The yield, the bonds, is, they call them smart money for a reason, because the bonds are never wrong. And in 2015, we started to see the flattening of the yield curve, which simply means, for those folks who don't know what that means, it's just if you take and look at the three-year Treasury, and you'll start seeing the yields or the interest rate that you would get buying a three-year, a three-month Treasury were increasing, but yet the long-term 10-year was not. 
And as time went on, in 2015, they started to raise rates, and it was very curious because we started to see the yield, uh, as they call flattening, we started to see those uh, short-term rates increasing, which identified that there was very little confidence in the economy going forward at the exact time they were raising rates. Well, we knew why they were raising rates, because they were trying to mask the implosion of the uh, economy because they were trying to hide it, because they kept on identifying the stock market as the indicator of the economy. If you remember, Craig, when, when uh, Trump started to run, he said that the economy, uh, the stock market was a big, fat, ugly bubble, and he raised rates just a little bit, it was going to crash. So he identified that the economy was different than the market. So then we saw back in, and then we saw after the crash, uh, of October 5th, 2018, which down 20%. Then we saw on the way back up from January up to May. By May, we saw the yield officially invert, where you get actually more money on the short one instead of the long one. That is kind of like saying, all right, I'm sorry, this is stage four cancer, went all through your body. And so what it was saying to the stock market back then, uh, it was like, we, I hate to inform you, but the cancer has spread. But yet, all the jibber-jabbers on TV since the 2015, all the way up to the actual time, the yield inverted, which where you'd be stage four cancer, for use an analogy, ignored it. They never want to talk about the yield because if they talk about the yield, then it blows their, it blows their uh, a, a narrative on how the stock market reflects the economy. So where we are now, I think you're going to see uh, he's going to eventually get rates down to zero, but he's not going to get his uh, rally that he thinks he's going to. He's in deep trouble. He, he's uh, unfortunately that um, with this, with the election coming up, he's married the market. Uh, he said he's, the, now he knows he's claiming he's the market. And uh, that was a huge mistake because if they even bring rates to zero, it will not repeat what we saw back from 2009 to 2019. Not going to happen again because there's too much damage in the economy. So there's no way to avoid uh, the crash. And I think you're going to see that right before uh, the election, and that could possibly uh, do them in. And that'd be a very, very sad day. And it's because he got bad information from Cudlow, Steve Moore. And uh, Laffer, his three dopes. I, I call him the dope. Those three, the dope squad. <laughs> they, they talked him in. They talked him into that. That's, that it was a terrible day. Dumb, dopey, and dingy. And well, the irony here is that there has been so much capital from a a promotional standpoint put into performance on Wall Street, and you had to know for sure on the heels of the the 2018 um, tax reduction at the corporate level. Certainly, there was going to be celebrations going on on uh, Wall Street. Certainly, they were going to engage in all of these stock buybacks. Uh, what else to better benefit the majority stockholders and the boards of directors? But now. Now, here's something interesting, because you, you've, you've touched on this, and I want to have you perhaps, uh, as best as you can, kind of look into your, gaze into your crystal ball and give us a sense of the timing of this. So you mentioned about what's happening with the yield curve inversion, and, and we've seen just since May, uh, the the two-year Treasury that was at about 2.4 in May is now barely breaking 1.7. And we're just right at the crossover between the two-year and the 10-year. And the 10-year is just mildly above 1.7 and a skosh. So we're, we're right at the point where that crossover is about to take place, where, as you suggested, you're suddenly seeing a greater return on short-term versus long-term. Once that crossover happens, Phil... Um, what is the, the lag time of the response of the economy overall? So we see this historically as an indicator that recession is coming. Once the crossover happens, is there any sense historically as to how long before we really begin to see fundamental changes in the overall economy that then goes from we think it's coming to it confirms that it's here? Yeah, that's a great question because when we had the three months, and the 10-year invert in May of 2019, uh, that, was the, that, that was the end of the market. That was the end of the rally. 
So if you want to mark down, I, I said on January 16th, and I recorded it, January 16th, I said that was the beginning of the market crash, and I predicted at that time that the worst month of the crash would be in December. So almost, I predicted that almost out 10 months. And December was, I said, would be the worst month of the uh, the capitulation, if you recall, it was. December 24th is when the market really got hit hard. And then January started to go back up again. But to answer your question, we've already had the inversion with the three-month and a 10-year. Usually the lag time is about 12 months to answer your question. But because it's already inverted on the three months and a 10-year, we're going to talk a very short time. I think what's going to happen is I think you'll see almost an, an immediate. When I say immediate, pro- probably within like two months, three months. Uh, it, it, because right, if you go back in your chart, you can't. They can't get back above October fifth. So for nine years, ten years, the market stopped at October fifth. Now it's been eleven months, and they still. It's the longest time ever recorded where a market pulled back and they can't make a new high. So that is because of not only because of the yield curve, but remember, we still got the other red flags. Our durable goods are negative. Our uh, housing starts, our pending home sales. Those are the three other red flags along with the yield, which is the fourth flag, which is very, very, you take those four, they've happened. But I think, I think you're talking a couple months because we've already inverted and, and, and we're seeing that and we're seeing the, the results of the inversion of May is now hitting us now. So we get one more inversion. Uh, I, I, you're probably talking a couple of months, the most, and then you'll see this market totally collapse. Now, the only thing is the plunger team, just like yesterday, what did they do? They came in, and the minute the market, they saw the yield go down on the 10-year to 1.6, whatever it was, from 1.75, they immediately went into high gear, and they started to... Uh, to, to hold up the financials because the financials are ready to break through their 200-day support. So they went to the mutual funds and started to buy bank stocks from the mutual funds to make sure the banks didn't collapse. And then they're holding up the whole market by just, again, they're, they're going in and just uh, uh, you know, going into the market and, and you know, just buying uh, uh, futures. They're doing their, you know, buying index futures to hold the whole market up. And buying, going to the mutual funds and buying bank stocks to hold the financials. This is in really bad shape. People don't even get it, man. Well, certainly, and and when there's a lot of false economic indicators out there, such as pointing to the performance on Wall Street to somehow suggest that that's indicative of the health of the economy, people hear that and go, oh, great, that's fantastic. Then we look at these wild swings of volatility where just in the last week, week and a half, we were down 600 one day, up 400 the next, much of this in response to all of the trade war talk, and it's just talk at this point, but enough talk to spook investors. The big question will talk about this when we come after the break, and that is this. Long-term money, maybe you're not so worried, but if you're short-term, meaning if retirement is just a handful of years away, now is a good time to get nervous. But if you're going to get nervous and you're going to make a shift in your positions, where do you go? Treasuries? Not so. What about the bond market? We'll talk about that. Phil Grandy is with us today. He is coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, he's one of the keynote speakers at the upcoming Money Show in San Francisco, taking place August 15, 16, and 17. You can get more information, by the way, and register online real easy. Just go to SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. That's SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. Registration and access to the workshops is free. So what do you got to miss but maybe a healthy financial future? Check it out, the San Francisco Money Show online, sanfranciscomoneyshow.com. Phil Grandy doing his nationally syndicated radio program, Phil's Gang, this coming Friday, 12 noon, broadcast live and direct from the Money Show in San Francisco. We invite you to come on down, be a part of the excitement, learn about the future of money, and most importantly, the connection between the future of money and your own economic future. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting today with money expert, 
Phil Grandy. Phil, of course, is the host of the nationally syndicated Phil's Gang. More information online at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Phil spends every day essentially teaching people how to manage their own financial future, how to take back control, and in doing so, restore a sense of confidence and take a lot of the emotion out of it. And we're going to talk a bit about this because, Phil, certainly the one thing that we've seen is a tremendous amount of emotion driving the markets. It certainly was the penultimate when we saw the downturn in 2008-2009. We've gone through this uh, fairy tale market uh, 10 years into upward numbers. And of course, as long as we'd love to think that this could go on forever, we know that the markets are cyclical. One of the things that you look at, you avoid the noise, the excitement, the emotion, the day-to-day stressing out over, is the market going to be up? Is the market going to be down? What's the president going to say? How is China going to respond? You sort of take all of that volatility and the question mark out of the equation, and your focus is uniquely looking at what's going on, sort of the, the story behind the story, the technicals, the charting. Explain to listeners who maybe don't understand exactly what that means when you're looking at the technical aspects of what's happening on Wall Street overall and with perhaps a, a given stock in specific. What exactly are you looking for, and how is that able to help you to sort of disconnect emotionally? Well, just like in the last few days, with the market going up, market going down, we were yawning when that was going on. Because what gave us... You're you're yawning. Everybody else is on the phone trying to get through to to their financial advisor who's on the golf course. (laughs) Yeah, we were were yawning, and our people were making money uh, shorting with their short positions, just holding them. And because what we look at is trend. And trend is your friend. And trend is, is like bond market, is the yields are never wrong. And when the market was going... Uh, down, then back up. In the last few days, the trend remains steady, a downward steady on our chart. I'm going to show this at my workshop. It was amazing how the trend was solid, downward, while the market was going back up and down. So it told us the trend was solid, the sentiment didn't change, uh, and we got that, again, from our trend on our chart, and also the yields on the 10-year Treasury told us, the smart money was telling us that the people were finally the cattle or the herd was falling off the wall of worry. In other words, we were watching every time a bad economic number came out, no matter what it was, people could care less and they kept climbing the wall of worry. And every bad economic number, from housing to whatever it is, is like a brick. And every bad number is a brick and went on top of another brick. And they're building this humongous wall. The herd of cattle is climbing it because they're so confident on everybody's going to come in and buy on the dip. That's the first thing we identify. Are they, are they continuing aggressive buying on the dip? And we saw that falling apart starting in uh, May of this year, that the aggressive buying on the dip was over. That, that wasn't happening. So that's telling us the big institutional money, the foreign money wasn't coming in buying on the dip. Why? Because, again, looking at the, the yields, the yields, when, when those short-term yields, people are buying short-term yields, it tells you not only do they not have confidence long-term, they really don't have confidence short-term either. So when they're, when they're in there buying like they're doing now, uh, it, that just keeps your trend solid in place. The yield backs up your trend, uh, and you just sit there, hold your position, and you said a few minutes ago, what do you do with your money? because we see this market probably will, will really start falling apart in another couple of months, three months. You, 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 you short it. In other words, you switch your position. Uh, that's what we do with our members. If you're a gang member, we make sure they're always in a position to mitigate any loss and with a short position. Unfortunately, you can't do that with a 401K, and that's why, you know, I get a kick out of this, this the, old, the old cliche, uh, if you don't plan, uh, plan to fail. Well, if that was true, then how come that people, uh, you know, they, they can't retire? They're, they're right now they're going to, uh, you know, be working to their dead. The 401k is a total failure. One because of the not only because of the high fees, but the fact that when a position in the market changes and everybody should be going the opposite way, they don't allow them to do that. 
So people sit there and just keep calling their broker. What should I do? What should I do? And they keep telling the worst thing, keep cost averaging down, keep cost averaging down. You put yourself in a position to go with the trend. If the big institutional money is pulling their money out, and that means they're shorting, then you take your money and you short. But unfortunately, the 401k is set up, uh, is not, the 401k never has been set up as a retirement fund. The 401k was a tax code, as you know, and, and it was just really a shelter, uh, uh, you know, perks and everything else for the CEOs. And then when they got rid of the uh, uh, pensions, they just stuffed a mutual fund inside of a 401k. And unfortunately, they don't allow you to short. So. The bottom line is, if I had money in a 401k right now and I was working, I'd be uh, finding a way to hedge it, buying gold. I'd be taking, I know it's hard to take your money out of a 401k, especially with a match. I understand all that. It's difficult. But you've got to sit down with your planner and you've got to find a way to hedge because you're going to, because this is going to be even worse in the dot-com crash or the housing crash. Well, it also seems to me, Phil, if we just take a look at the current volatility that we've seen, and, and, and you know, a note to listeners, a lot of it is is essentially uh, a, a creation of mankind, meaning uh, the president comes out and declares that on a certain date, tariffs are going to go up by a certain percentage against all Chinese goods, and the markets react, everybody gets concerned, we get nervous, what's going to do to the retail sector, it's going to ruin Christmas, all of these sorts of things, and so the the scared money reacts accordingly. And I guess the problem is you're suggesting, Phil, with traditional 401ks or or just overall traditional investment vehicles, and that is that most people, because they feel it lends them some sense, I guess, of of security, will go into a mutual fund or an ETF and say, okay, I feel like I'm I'm uh, I'm diversified here. I'm I'm not in a, a single stock. I've got things spread out. The problem, of course, is dependent upon the objectives of that individual fund, if suddenly trends are taking place in the markets that would suggest, hey, it's time to get entirely out of small caps, say, and go somewhere else, or or stay away from emerging markets and come back to U.S. soil, whatever the case might be. The problem with any of those those mutual funds is that they're required, aren't they, to stick to the fund objective. So if that be the case, uh, a fund manager is not going to call you and say, hey, it doesn't look like very good days ahead for us here in, uh, you know, blue chip stock, time to to sell all of your uh, your mutual funds that doesn't happen does it no they're going to short against you can you remember once they got rid of the pension the defined guarantee benefit plan where the responsibility remember was on the employer to make sure that there was adequate income for you okay who worked for me that you're going to live the same lifestyle when you retired as when you work it was on me to make sure that happened and so i had to hire the best uh, manager I could find, and it was very expensive, very costly, but it worked. It was a team effort. We both uh, we, we both benefited. Me, the CEO or owner or stockholder, and you, uh, the employee. Everybody was on the same team. When they decided to go away from the pension, and they went to the contribution plan, when once they switched the responsibility to the employee instead of the employer to make sure that there was adequate income to provide for that, that retirement, it was over, even back then. It was, a, it was, uh, it, it was, the day they conceived the 401k, it was a day it failed. It, it could never work because it, it just didn't make any sense to begin with. When they stick in a uh, mutual fund inside these 401ks, don't, don't, don't remember, when they, Put these 401ks inside, the mutual funds inside your 401k. The people who sell these funds or the, the mutual funds who, who go to these companies and say, gee, I want, I want you to, here, here's my list of uh, uh, mutual funds, and you can have your, uh, and have, have your employees select one of them. Remember, they always give you one of the worst performing ones, and a lot of it is they give you the one that the biggest kicks, kickbacks. Involved. Oh, exactly right. I mean, you know, what 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 better business to be in to be in a business where you're going to get paid whether or not you perform? I mean, you know, <laughs> if if the doctor you know comes in and performs surgery and the patient dies on the table, do you really want to then say, hey, be sure to send us your bill? No, you probably say this was another failure and I'm not going to pay you. Well, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to the management fees that are built in to these funds, uh, if it's not happening at the actual fund level, which it is, it's 
happening at the bank level or whoever it happens to be the fiduciary behind providing that 401k service. So your company does, you know, business with, uh, you know, uh, Capital One Bank or whoever it might be, and uh, they provide the 401k services. Well, they're charging fees. Everybody seems to be making guaranteed money here except you. Is that essentially the, the what's so problematic about this, Phil? Yeah, and it was never intended to replace the pension, remember, the 401k. Uh, I mean, it really wasn't, uh, you know, because the 401k doesn't throw off enough income to guarantee a monthly retirement check. And then when you start throwing in the fees on top of that, it, it really it's just become a biggest uh, skimming operation in the country. So when we go back and talk about when the market is ready to collapse, if like my gang, at least we will position them where they can yawn while it's collapsing. Okay, but what the sad part of all this is that when the market collapses again, this is going to be totally different because if you think about the last collapse and we lost about $15 trillion between our home equity and our, and our uh, stock market equity, and, and still people, a lot of still people haven't, re- remember, the market never recovered. The market was propped up. By, uh, by the low interest rates and stock buybacks. So that's why this crash is going to be so much harder on people, because this was an entire propped-up market for 10 years. Well, of course, too, the irony is that you, you also had at least certain tools at the disposal of the Fed at the time um, uh, that that allowed them to be able to come in, lower the the prime lending rate because rates were normal. So uh, that that gave them at least a little bit of leeway, a little bit of leverage to help sort of slow things down. Henry Paulson went in and he marketed uh, very heavily. Uh, do you remember the the scene of him on bended knee in front of Nancy Pelosi, saying, "Please pass this bill so that they could get the influx of cash with quantitative easing." And and coming in with the big trillion-dollar bailout, uh, they had that at their disposal. And, of course, at the time, you also didn't have such record deficit spending. I mean, my goodness, the federal debt today, under 10 years of phenomenal market performance, is at $22 trillion. And the most recent tax cut that some people saw, yeah, that helped to bring our deficit spending to almost a trillion dollars. So... As Phil Grandy is suggesting, the next market change, yeah, it may not be triggered by derivatives and the manipulation that was going on within real estate lending, but whatever factor triggers it, uh, believe me, if the last one set off several sticks of TNT to blow up the markets, this is going to be like setting off an atom bomb. Let's take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Phil Grandy in town for the San Francisco Money Show, August 15, 16, 17. Your participation and registration, absolutely free. You can check it out and register right now online. Simply go to SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. That's SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. Phil's going to be not only doing his network radio show live from the Money Show, but he's also going to be one of the keynote presenters. We'll tell you more about that coming up right after a quick timeout. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Craig Roberts along with Phil Grandy, host of the nationally syndicated Phil's Gang radio program, heard Monday through Friday at 12 noon on our sister station, AM 1220, KDOW, the Bay Area's business leader. Phil is, of course, uh, the principal behind Phil's Gang, and you can catch his radio program every day. They've got lots of great tools and resources to help you take better control of your own financial future. Check them out online at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. We've been talking about markets, money management, where things are heading globally. Let's spend a quick moment on that topic, Phil. Um, we've, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, seen Hong Kong reeling from pro-democracy protests. You have to wonder um, how the Hang Sen is eventually going to respond to all of that, as if China doesn't already have enough problems dealing with the threats and the rumors of trade wars. Now, most recently, the little rally we saw on Wall Street was because the president essentially blinked and the tariffs that were going to take a jump 
effective September the 1st, have now been delayed until December the 15th, which certainly will mean better news for retailers. But if you look at all of this, along with slowing economically across the globe, questions about the future of Brexit, England, and uh, the European Union, and uh, what's happened in the bond market, it certainly gives one a great deal of cause to sort of pause and say, wait a minute here, is this Goldilocks economy that we've been enjoying about to kind of, what's the old saying, the gravy train pull into the station? What do you think? Well, we, we remember, too, this thing with this Christmas nonsense today, The this was a response that he couldn't talk uh, Paul into doing another 25-point rate cut. So he turned around and said, okay, that's how he was going to get the market to start rallying. He needed that additional 45 uh, basis points. So he turns around and he brings his three dope uh, squad in, and they said, well, let's do this. Why don't we turn around and we'll announce they're going to delay the tariffs. So this was a response to Powell not giving in to another rate cut that he thought would boost the market. So that's, he turned around and they said, okay, well, how can we boost the market? Hey, let's go in with this Christmas nonsense and the market will rally. That's what happened. But here's the problem. You just brought up another great point you were talking about. This whole, everybody's got to remember, this whole market when it was going up, let's say, 30% a year, and the economy was only going up 2.5% a year, remember what they were doing. They were providing massive credit. We had this massive credit bubble they were providing. And and for 10 years, they were giving people whatever money they needed, five credit cards, 10 credit cards. And that's why this is going to be such a, it, it, it's going to be such a short, uh, this is going to be unbelievable. Because at some point what happens with that, when you have all this credit outstanding, the auto loans, the school loans, they can't keep up with it. And then finally, the inflation turns to deflation. And when it finally deflates, people start cutting prices. And when they see the prices don't bring in customers, they start laying off. And then when the neighbor, you get up in the morning, you go to work, and the neighbor, he's not going to work, but you are. What happened, Joe? I got laid off. Then panic really sets in. Then people stop spending. That's what's going to take this market down, is 10 years of this massive credit bubble is coming to an end and and not just, i mean we're not even talking about the the government and what they're spending and as you mentioned earlier and their deficits just let's talk about the households and the household debt so these folks have been able to get whatever they wanted for 10 years on the lie the economy was doing wonderful when the yields were saying starting in 2015 the economy was doing terrible but you, you could get Maria Bartiroma, you could get Payne, you could get all these people, the lap dogs for the administration to come out and say, oh, everything's wonderful. And people, unfortunately, are spending believing it. And they're spending, I'll get another credit card because I'm told the economy's fantastic. And they, and they look at the stock market and say, oh, look at that, the economy's doing great. This is going to be swift. This is not going to be like what happened with the dot-com or housing con, it, it, you know, which take, took like 18 months before it finally crashed from the first sign. You're going to talk like 18 minutes. I mean, this, like you said, a time bomb. We've never seen such a massive credit bubble that we have. That's the major problem here. Well, and of course, the concern, too, is you touch on not just the deficit spending at the federal level, but at the personal level. And I think what people are failing to recognize is that there has been this sense of of success and people are enjoying homes and cars and trips and vacations and all of that. Yes. But at what price? If you couple the expenditures for just revolving credit, that stuff that you put on your credit card, all the toys that you're paying 16, 18, 20 percent at, along with the level of indebtedness in this country of education loans, My goodness, Phil. I mean, is it any wonder that people see a fundamental disconnect between the market going up 20 and 30 percent a year and yet GDP barely breaking over two, two and a half percent? So wait a minute now. How do you get to 30 off of two? 
And the big concern here has been the level of deficit spending that's gone on at the federal level and the personal level, which you're right. At the end of the day, a significant hiccup on the radar screen, and and all of a sudden, all of that money comes due. And if you don't have the capital sitting in the bank in order to uh, pay it off, or you're going to say, well, let's try to sell the house. Well, that may not work. Uh, that could put a lot of families into serious financial straits. And, and the problem is, I get so angry because when they do these confident reports, the consumer confident, of course the consumer confident, because he knows he can get another credit card. He knows he can go down to the car dealer and get, you know, as long as he can fog up the rear view mirror, he gets fine. Of course he's got confidence. So this massive credit bubble that has been created is like never before. We've never had a credit bubble this huge, which has given the false confidence to everybody to go spend, not save, don't have any money for a rainy day. And, and the folks who are getting ready to retire, they're screwed. Because they, they, they're, they're never going to have enough money to retire. Uh, and then you sit there and you got your credit card, auto loans, student loans. Uh, what's that, about $4 trillion list there alone? And then if you add it all together with, what, household debt, $15 trillion totally? It's over. I mean, this is amazing what this country ha- has done. And at the same time, you got health care. I just got, Marta just got her health care premium last night. We couldn't believe it. It went up again. And we're saying, how do people make it that two people are working, bringing home sixty-five, seventy thousand uh, $70,000? How do they make it? And it's all been because of the credit bubble. That's They think they've been making it because they get credit. Now the credit's going to stop. And bam, that's it. It's over. Well, and when you see the statistics that indicate that the, the median U.S. savings rate is only just a skosh under... $12,000 and think, well, my goodness, you could have any medium health care crisis or uh, uh, you get to put a new roof on the house, something of that sort, and completely wipe out your savings. Then what? You're going to be talking at the upcoming San Francisco Money Show. And again, I'll mention for listeners, Phil Grandy will be broadcasting live from the Money Show on Friday. That's the Friday, August the 16th at 12 noon. And you can participate. You can attend the show and go to the workshops and seminars absolutely free. Just simply register online, SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. That's SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. In addition to the live broadcast at noon, Phil, at 4.30 that afternoon, again, this is Friday the 16th, you're going to be sharing with attendees why it's to their benefit to take control of their investments. Just give us a little bit of an elaboration on that, just a little bit of a thumbnail sketch, if you will, as to what you're going to dig down into when you share that keynote address Friday the 16th at 4.30. Well, we're going to try to, we're going to be realistic. We, we know people aren't just going to get out of their 401k. You know, they got the contributions from the, you know, all the reasons why they won't get out. Uh, and, and by the way, I always tell people, if you ever if you ever notice in your company, if you have a 401k, if there's no standardized investment education, that's when you got a red flag. There's not, and all the companies put together, they have to give the offer these 401ks. Very seldom you see this standardized investment education program, and 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 that really always upset me. Because that they're, they're hiding from people this forward, this, this uh, what's coming. Okay, they don't they don't want to even know what these, these. Most people don't even know. Think about a 401k. It's the only product people don't understand it. They don't know the expense of it. They don't know the quality of it. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about look. We can't change. You're never going to get rid of this thing. You're not going to listen to me. But we're going to give them something that they can walk out with and saying, I better do something. Our whole goal is to get over there and just to get people to think. When they walk out, they're going to say, you know what? He, he, he tickled me a little bit. I better think about doing something rather than being complacent. If I can just get that across, that somebody walks out and says, you know what he's saying, makes, I think we better look into this. That's my goal. That's my goal. Rather than walk out and just like they did with the dot-com crash, housing, don't even think about it, and all of a sudden they lose everything. So that's our goal, is to hopefully bring awareness to it, to tickle people a little bit, to wake up, 
and they at least go sit with a planner or someone who says, how do I protect myself? Gold, that I think, is going to be huge myself, and, and gold mining stocks. That's where I'd be putting all my money right now. And, of course, you'll learn a lot about not only why you should take better control of your financial future, but equally how you can do that. Lots of great education and resources available through Phil's Gang. Information on the web at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Live broadcast from the San Francisco Money Show at the Hilton San Francisco at Union Square, August 15, 16, and 17. That live broadcast will be, of course, Friday the 16th at 12 noon. And then at 4.30 that afternoon, Phil is going to be one of the keynote speakers talking precisely about this topic, how you can better take control of your own investments and financial future. Participation, absolutely free. Log on to SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com and register today. That's SanFranciscoMoneyShow.com. Drop by the exhibit hall. KDOW, our sister station, will have a booth there. And uh, Phil Grandy will be on hand doing his show live on Friday at high noon. San Francisco Money Show, August 15, 16, 17. Phil Grandy live at 12 noon across the network. And then that special keynote at 4.30 that afternoon. Information and registration online, sanfranciscomoneyshow.com. Details about Phil's Gang at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Check out the broadcast each Monday through Friday at 12 noon on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Well, Phil, we'll get a chance to uh, see you later on. We appreciate so much you taking some time out of your schedule to be with us on this edition of Lifeline. Uh, it was great. Looking forward to it. And I'm really... Uh Looking uh, forward to seeing you again out there, Craig. And, of course, looking forward to seeing all of our listeners, too. Phil Grandy from Phil's Gang. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.